Matthew chapter number 16. I'd like to begin reading verse number 13 if I could. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Today I'd like to continue our study on the importance of the church. And I want to preach on this subject here today, actually asking this question, what is the church? What is the church? So let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing me this opportunity to share the Word of God. I thank you for those many years ago that you called me into the ministry. You prepared my heart. You prepared me through studies, through reading, through being around different groups of people, and you brought everything right now to this very moment in time. You brought this crowd of people together. Never again in this building will there be the same exact crowd. Every person is here. And Lord, they're here to hear thy word. And you have this specific message today. So may we listen, may we apply, and may we do what you're asking us to do. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. It was back... In 1995, my wife and I were living in the Fort Myers, Naples area, and uh, we had found our church. We, I had gotten into a position as an associate pastor at uh, Gospel Baptist Church in Bonita Springs, Florida, and boy, we were just loving life, and, uh, but there was one problem. Uh, we were kind of in between a lot of places. We did not have anything that we could call permanently our home. And so through the summer of 1995, or actually the spring, we began looking around and trying to figure out where God would have us. And lo and behold, we met a builder by the name of Bob Kless. Now he was a smaller builder. He did a lot of his own framing, a lot of his own roofing, and would sub out some of the contracting of work. But he was a great builder, and we were impressed with his home, and so it was a joy on that day when we sat down with him and we signed the contract. And I remember hearing him say these words, I will be building your home on this lot. Boy, we're excited. If you've ever had a home built, 
I remember almost every week we would go back to that place and we would take pictures. Now to you that are young and all you know is cameras on your phone, we didn't, we didn't have any of that back in 95. And so I went to CVS and I brought one of those throwaway cameras, you know, and I would take these pictures and man, we were excited. And every time I'd see somebody in church or I'd meet somebody new, I'd say, we're getting a home built. And boy, it was exciting for us to have a home built. But every time that I would say something to somebody about having our home built, nobody would ever say to me, what's that? They all knew what I meant by we're building a home. They knew what a home was all about. How interesting it is that in this passage of Scripture that we read, Jesus opens up to us and gives us for the very first time the English word that we know of as church. And I would have to imagine that the disciples, as they hear that, that word church, that means called out assembly, they're starting to picture in their mind, what is this all about? What is this thing that Jesus is referencing to as the church? And last week I began this little mini-series on the importance of the church And I shared last week how crucial it was to understand the value and importance and significance of the church. We saw in 1 Timothy that the church is literally the house of God. That it is the church of the living God and that it is to proclaim the truth of God's word. That's why it's the pillar and the ground of truth. But how amazing Jesus talks here about the church The very first time he uses this word in the New Testament, what does he mean by the church? Well, let's look through this passage and define here what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. First of all, I want you to notice here that the church belongs primarily to Jesus Christ. Please note that. The church primarily belongs belongs to Jesus Christ. Note verse number 18, there's one small two-letter word. It is the word, my. Now, if I were to hold up this Bible here, and as I hold it up and I say, this is my Bible, you'll all understand what I mean by that. I am stating that this Bible belongs to me personally. The word my is what we would refer to as a possessive pronoun. It is referencing an object that belongs to the speaker. And as Jesus says that he will build his church, I will build my church, there's two important things to notice about this statement. First, notice the way the statement is structured. The Lord did not say, I will build your church. He didn't say that. Neither did the Lord say, you will build my church. Please note these words with me, and if you would say them with me, I will build my church. Ready? I will build my church. That's exactly what Jesus said. And notice here what he's not saying about this building, the second part of this. Jesus is letting us know who the church belongs to. That is, it does not belong to the pastor. I've heard people say sometimes, well, pastor, your church. No, 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 no. 
I belong to this church. Yes, I could say this is my church that I, I belong here, but I don't own this. This is not mine. This is not of my creativity. This is God's church. Amen. Neither is this church the deacon's church. Neither is it a particular group of leaders that a church may have. Or it's not owned by the financiers of the church. Those that give in the money, they don't own the church. The church is not owned by the congregation. The church is not owned by the government. May I say it very clearly so you can get it and write it home today? The church is simply holy undeniably the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now you might be sitting here right now and saying, Pastor, why are you making a big deal of this? Well, I think it's important to highlight this because you and I have got to understand a couple of things when Jesus said, I will build my church. First of all, he owns it because he gave his life for it. Next week, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, where the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know why Jesus can make the statement that he will build his church and that he owns his church? Because Jesus gave his life for the church. The church is being a called out assembly. That means you and I that are here today who name the name of Jesus Christ that we're born again, that we're saved out of this world. We've been brought together here into this wonderful, unique new entity that Jesus called the church. And you today as a believer can say, Jesus owns me because he bought me. Jesus owns the church. But second thing I want you to note of why this is very important is Jesus owns the church. Therefore, he's the one who calls the shots. You understand what I mean by calling the shots? I mean, Jesus is the one that tells us how we operate. Jesus is the one that lets us know how we're to govern this place. I'm sad to say that in many denominational circles, it is the corporate office that are calling the shots. Sadly, many churches in the last few years have had to make decisions on which direction they're going to go on moral issues. There are denominations today in the corporate offices stating, well, we want a pastor to be somebody of this particular persuasion, or we want uh, this type of thing to happen in a church, and it begins to affect all the churches as a part of that denomination. You wonder why we're independent Baptists? That's why, because we recognize here today that within these four walls, we stand submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ and to nobody else. Now, there's no doubt that you and I are commanded to pray for our government. We're commanded to honor and obey those officials. Don't walk out of here if you get stopped on the way home because you're speeding. Say, well, the preacher told me that my authority is Jesus Christ and him alone. You'll probably get a bigger ticket. 
So I'm here to tell you that the Bible is very balanced in this sense that you and I have an authority here on this earth that we are to obey. Jesus is stating that there are a lot of different authorities that may be over you, but when it comes to the church, yes, we are to pray for our government. Yes, we are to honor and obey them, but they don't tell us how we run this place. They don't tell us what to preach. They don't tell us when we can meet. We stand submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns the church. Now, churches got tested by this a couple years ago with something we call COVID. You remember that? That word still circles around, doesn't it? In fact, there are some people that have still gotten COVID, sadly, as of late. But it's very interesting that I remember that day in March when it was a very serious thing. Nobody knew anything about it. Even our president at that time had asked churches, requested them, if they would hold off and refrain from meeting. And we did that. For seven weeks, we did not have services here. Now, I I went ahead and I came here and I preached a sermon and Johnny was back there and we had a couple other people that were with us, but we went ahead and broadcast our sermons and live streamed our sermons. And many of you sitting in your pajamas, sipping your coffee at home, enjoyed the service while I was here all dressed up. But it was wonderful when our governor had then said, as he had gotten a bunch of people to do research together and began to open up the state of Florida and praise God that I pastor in the state of Florida. That he said, businesses are now open. Businesses are now open and therefore we open Calvary Baptist Church. But imagine if a government said, I'm I'm sorry, you you can't meet. I'm sorry, we don't want you gathering together. Now look, when we opened back up that first Sunday of May, I was very cognizant of the fact that we have a lot of people with a lot of different opinions about this. And we opened back up because there were many that wanted to come. And I remember those days that we opened, it was kind of a little weird. We had This is an aisle you could come down, but you could go up that aisle. You could come down that aisle. I mean, we just, we did every other row seating. We we did all sorts of things to try to keep ourselves together. And I share all that with you as a reminder of the fact that it seems pretty easy where a government may want to come in and say, I'm I'm sorry, you, you cannot meet. We've heard in various other countries where governments have come in and said, uh, we want to see the sermons that the pastor's going to preach so we can give approval. I'm sorry if I can be so bold today. No government official is going to tell me what I'm going to preach. Now you say, Pastor, you're you're being a little bit... uh, arrogant and I'm not being arrogant here I'm just telling you I'm standing here understanding where my authority comes from Jesus said I will build my church boy we ought to pray for our government 
We ought to pray for our leaders. We ought to pray that our government will still look upon the church as favorable. But if somehow we have an unfavorable government towards church, I want to ask you a question. What are we going to do? You know, Jesus is very interesting in the book of Acts. We found that there is a group of apostles, namely John and Peter, that are preaching the gospel. And in Acts chapter 4, they get tossed into jail. And when they get released, they are told, please don't preach in Jesus' name. How interesting. So they go about and they just say, well, our authority, Jesus told us to preach, so they go out and preach once again, and all of a sudden they're brought before the authorities. And I love what they say in Acts chapter 4, verse number 28. Very interesting what they say. Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? In Acts chapter 5, verse number 29, here's what the apostles said. We ought to obey God rather than men. Didn't mean that they weren't going to obey men, but when there was a conflict of authority, whose was the higher authority? It was God's. Now again, what I'm sharing here is very important. Jesus said, I will build my church. So it is crucial for you to understand who owns the church. Number two, what is the church? Well, it's built on a proper foundation. It is built on a proper foundation. I want you to note the conversation that we read, which Jesus had with his disciples. When he arrived in Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples who the people said that he was. I remember reading a number of years ago a story about the governor of the, Mass of the state of Massachusetts back in the early 50s by the name of Christian Herder. He was running for a very hard second term for office, and one day after a very busy morning of campaigning and chasing after votes, he had not had any breakfast, had not had any lunch, and he arrived in that afternoon at a church barbecue. And it was very late in the afternoon, and boy, I'll tell you what, Christian Herder was just about famished. As he moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving the chicken. And she put one piece of chicken on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, the governor said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said. Only one to a customer. Well, Governor Herder was a very modest and unassuming man, so he decided this time he'd th throw a little weight around, and he said, do you know who I am? He said, I'm the governor of the state of Massachusetts. The woman looked at him. She said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. Uh, Jesus didn't ask this question to these people because he didn't know who he was. Or he wasn't trying to throw his weight around. Jesus didn't ask this question because he was concerned about ranking high in the latest opinion poll. Jesus actually asked this question because he wanted to see what the disciples had learned about him and his ministry up to this point. Could they correctly assess who Jesus was? Did they know why he came? And it's quite interesting, the answers that they gave. 
Some of them thought that, uh, you know, his unassuming character and everything else was a lot like John the Baptist. Some of them had seen his tender spirit and his compassion. And so they said, well, there's some people that think you're like Jeremiah. There's others that looked at him and, and saw that he was a praying man and, and a man with great power. And they said, wow, you must be Elijah. And, and then they began to name other prophets. And Jesus said, all right, enough is enough. I know what they're saying out there, but now I'm going to bring it home. Who do you say that I am? And without any hesitation, who's the man that answers and always seemed to stick his mouth, you know, his foot in his mouth here? Peter, Peter says... And look at his answer, what is given in verse number 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I would have to say that the thrust of the conversation is what Jesus then gives in response to Peter's answer here. Look at the beginning of verse number 17. First of all, Jesus blesses what Simon Peter had said. He says, Simon Peter, blessed are, are you. You've answered this correctly. And it's interesting, he notes here that this answer, this wasn't one of the disciples kind of hitting Peter and saying, tell him he's the Christ. No, no. This wasn't an answer given by anybody else. This was something that God had specifically revealed to Peter, and therefore Peter answers it. But I believe that what is important about this point of the conversation is that this statement that Peter made is very significant and it is what the church is built upon. For instance, what is meant by the term that is given here in verse number 18, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, what, what, is, what is meant by that? Now, you look at some of the commentators, and I know that you're not going to go read through a commentary this afternoon or this week. So I'll summarize for you. One issue is, or interpretation, is the fact that Peter is the person who's the rock. Many of us are very familiar with a, a, a very large church, the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I was baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church, and I have a lot of friends and family that are still part of that. But there has been a particular interpretation that Peter is that rock and that he was the first pope, and all the successive popes, the popes that come from him are based on what Jesus made of this statement here. But there's another interpretation, that is that Christ is the rock. In other words, Matthew 7, 25, Jesus states that he is the rock on which every person is to build their life. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus stared, shared that he was a stone which the builders rejected. And I believe there is something to be said about Jesus as the rock, and no doubt he's the foundation. But I think there's something much more important to see here connected with that second interpretation, and that is that Jesus shares that the rock is literally the statement that Peter made. In fact, Jesus has a little play on words here for just a moment. When he names Peter... I want you to know that the name Peter in the original language is the word Petros, which means a small stone or a pebble. But when he says, upon this rock, 
That is the, the statement that Peter made. That Greek word is very close to Petros, but it is a word Petra, and it means a large stone, one that could be used for a foundation. So what does Jesus mean by, upon this rock I will build my church? Well, I believe he meant that the statement that Peter said about Jesus was true and that the church was built upon Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the fact that he is the son of the living God. In other words, what is the church built upon? It's built upon the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. If you get a wrong understanding of who Jesus is, you'll be wrong about the church. The message that you and I proclaim as a church is the fact that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. He is the anointed one and that he came to deliver us from our sins. So what is the church? Well, it's owned by Jesus and it has a proper foundation upon which is built. But now I want you to notice number three. It has bestowed a particular message very closely connected with point number two is this one. The second point leads to the next one. In fact, here it is. The church has a proper foundation and it has been given a job based upon what that foundation means. Look here at a couple words in verse number 19. Look at the word give. Jesus has given something to us. Now with every gift, there's a responsibility with it. But then I want you to notice what is given is there's keys that are given. Now, keys do not mean ownership. Keys denote privilege and the ability to use. If you came up to me today and say, Pastor, can I borrow your car? And I came over and I gave you my keys. Please understand you're not taking it forever. I'm letting you borrow it. Yes, with the keys, you have great responsibility, but you do not own it. And when Jesus gave to not just Peter, but all of the apostles, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, what was he given to them? Well, I believe it's the salvation message. It is the glorious hope that Jesus Christ is the only way of eternal life. You see, as a church, we have one simple message. You probably come here and you wonder, preacher, why do you talk about people getting saved all the time? Why do you have an invitation where you invite people to come forward to receive Christ as Savior? Why are you constantly proclaiming the message of salvation? Because that's the message that we're to give. It's all based upon the foundation of the fact that Jesus Christ is the one that was promised and he is the son of the living God. He did die on the cross. He was buried and he didn't stay there. He rose again and he's there offering eternal life to all who will believe in him. And the keys that we have is the fact that we are given this message. Now, can I say to you, having these keys does not mean we're the gatekeeper. I don't tell people who are saved. I don't say, well, I, I, and I've heard people say this, well, I just don't think you're saved. Look, I I understand there's fruit and various things, but I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is going to sort all that out at the end. But when I hear a testimony from someone, yes, I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not trusting in good works. I believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Then, my friend, I take their testimony for what it is that they believe in Jesus Christ. 
But I want you to note something here that Peter and the apostles and you and I today are not the gatekeepers to heaven. We don't tell people whether they go to heaven or not. We just simply proclaim the message. Isn't it amazing how you ever hear jokes about heaven? And they say, well, Peter was there at the gates of heaven. They're almost coming back to this passage of Scripture, but I want to tell you something. Peter's not the one that you're going to find there at the gate. I want to say that someday when I get to heaven, I think the first one I'm going to meet is Jesus Christ. That's the one I'm going to see. But Peter doesn't get to decide who goes to heaven, who doesn't. Peter has no keys apart from his confession of Jesus Christ. And therefore, today, you and I as a part of the church have no keys, if you will, apart from the confession that Jesus is the Christ. Entrance to the kingdom of heaven is based on faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? If you truly have faith in Jesus Christ, then you're part of the family of God. And I want to say to you today, this is why it's important when we begin to talk about what is a true church. You say, Pastor, you know, sometimes you might talk about other churches that are false churches out there. Are there really false churches? There are. How do you know they're false churches? You don't like them because maybe they have bigger numbers than you do. That's not the, that's not the significant point. I could care less whether they have a larger number than we do. The issue is a true church is dependent on their confession of who Jesus Christ is. That's the foundation. And that's why as a church, when we have people who come forward and I begin to query them about their desire to become a part of Calvary Baptist Church, one of the first two requirements is this, that they have a testimony that they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Membership here at Calvary Baptist Church is based on the fact that people have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. So I want you to note here, what is the church? Well, it's owned by Jesus Christ. It's built upon a certain foundation, and it's given a particular message. But now, number four, I want you to see this. It cannot be permanently beaten. Did you hear what I said there? The church cannot be beaten. It's important to get a proper understanding of this phrase. Now look at this phrase here that is given in this verse. Notice here in verse number 18, where the Bible says, And upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now many times when we think about this idea of the gates of hell, we start thinking of flames and closing around the church. And we start thinking to ourselves, all right, well, we know about hell. We think about flames. We think about other things. But I want you to know the word hell in the Bible here is the word that talks about the place of departed dead. Now, yes, there are eternal flames that are there, but it is a place of the departed dead. And the gates of hell have a reference here to the strength of a place. Whenever an enemy would come in in olden days, in the Bible days, and they would attack a city, many times they would attack the gate if the gate wasn't that strong. And so a city was fortified only as strong as the gate of that city was. And Jesus is saying here that all the power and all the strength of death will not overcome the church. You see, we're talking about one who owns the church, 
who on a particular time died on the cross of Calvary, and in fact, he literally died on the cross. The Bible says that he died and he gave up the ghost, literally. They took him and they buried him. Now imagine Satan and all his evil hosts standing around saying, Aha, we've got him. We've conquered him. Now that third day came around. They didn't realize what was going to happen. On that third day, when Mary and Martha and the other disciples had gone in and they saw that the tomb was empty, Jesus rose again. There was no death that could hold our Savior back. Because today, he is alive. And because death couldn't hold Jesus back, whatever it is that Jesus has founded, and whatever it is that Jesus puts his stamp of approval on, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, you look in the book of Acts. Here it is, the apostles I alluded to earlier the, the apostles are preaching the word of God and they're finding that the, the, the Roman government at that time is oppressive and trying to hold back the preaching of the word of God. In fact, there's a man in the book of Acts by the name of Saul who is one of the religious leaders who is going about and taking everybody that he can that is preaching the name of Jesus and he's putting them in prison. Some of them he's having killed and there's a lot of people that are being martyred for their faith. But I'm telling you why the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Because in Acts chapter 9, that man Saul, who was on his way to Damascus to take others into jail, met the Lord Jesus Christ and got gloriously saved. Amen. And now you know what he started doing? Building God's church. You and I read in our history books about uh, a time that we refer to as the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages. And it is a time when the church of Jesus Christ was heavily persecuted. Now, I'm sad to say that the true church of Jesus Christ was persecuted in many ways and in many parts by the false church. But here it is, much persecution and people are being martyred for their faith. In fact, there's a book, I believe we may have it at our resource, resource center. It is written by a man by the last name of Fox. It is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And in that book, you will read page after page after page after page of people who gave their life, were burned at the stake, were beheaded, and all sorts of things happened, and they did it for the cause of Christ. And do you realize the oppressive powers thought, if I can stamp out this one, if I can take, get rid of this one, if I can take this one out, then we're going to defeat the church. But can I say today, the church moves on, does it not? Today, we have scoffers about the church. Today, we have people looking at the church and saying, well, you know, young people aren't coming to church like they used to. For every church that is being planted, there are two or three churches that are closing its doors. And I don't care how you look at the statistics and what you may describe about the church. I believe something very subtly that Jesus said, I will build my church and no thing, no evil power will ever prevail over my church God promised his church will prevail. And my friend, I want you to be encouraged of why you're coming today. Because you're here as part of a local church. That whatever may happen, 
And in the 54 years of this church, it has gone through some struggles and obstacles and problems and lost some people. But I'm telling you, today there is still a Calvary Baptist Church that's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because nothing can stop the work of God. I remember when I was a teenager, I lived in a small town in Massachusetts right on the border of New Hampshire called Tingsboro. It's right outside of Lowell. We lived right on the street where the local high school was. We had a period of time when I was in my teen years that a number of teenagers late at night would go with baseball bats and they would knock down mailboxes as they drove down the road. Well, they thought it was cute. Neighbors would find their mailboxes the next morning, uh, smash, so they go, and they get another mailbox, a whole other frame, they'd set it back up, and then maybe a week or two later, some of these kids would drive down the road again and would smash mailboxes. One day, one of our neighbors told my dad, he said, I'm going to fix this. He then went ahead and got a huge steel frame. And he encased it, and it looked like a mailbox that he had before. And I wish I could have been there to see when they went to smash that mailbox. Probably broke their bat, may have broken their hands. I don't know. But you know what that neighbor of ours did? He said, I'm going to make sure we set something up that is not broken. I want to tell you something. No matter what this world does to deter the church to try to discourage God's people, no matter what the government may do to keep people from meeting, to try to deter things from happening. I want to tell you something. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ who owns you, who bought you, and you become part of a local church, you're, becoming, you're a part of something that is so grand that God established, that God is for that God is doing his work through. And therefore, what is the church? We're here today to simply proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And for those of you that have been saved, it is the message of the church to help you grow in the things of Jesus Christ and become more like Jesus Christ. And then those of us that are saved and are growing are to go out and find more people who are without Jesus Christ and proclaim that message and bring them in. And then as those people grow, we all together again go out and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and see more people saved until the time that God calls us home. That's our job. And the church is owned by Jesus. The church is built upon the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. The church has a message of declaring the gospel. So the question is for you, number one, are you part of the church? Number two, are you sharing that message, declaring that gospel? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. Pray that somehow, some way that you would speak to hearts. Lord, through this stammering tongue, trying to describe all this, I feel inadequate to be able to share what the church is all about. But Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. May every person here today truly know that they're in Jesus Christ. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed here today, how many of you would say here today, preacher, I'm not saved and, and I, I know it. 
I'm not a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I've never been born again, but I sure would like to be. Well, I'd like to invite you right now to pray and ask the Lord to be your Savior. Please understand today, as I invite you to pray, this has to be something that you mean with all your heart. As you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner, as you confess with your mouth that without Jesus Christ you'll die and go to hell, but believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is the only payment for your sin, the Bible says you can be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to invite Jesus in your heart right now, I'd like to go ahead and lead you publicly in what we often refer to as a sinner's prayer. As I pray it out loud in simple phrases, I'd like to invite you, if you need to be saved today, to pray it to yourself, just quietly in your heart. Here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I cannot save myself. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood to pay for my sins. And right now, I'm asking Jesus Christ, God's holy son, to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal savior. Now, just in the stillness of this moment, you prayed that prayer. You're not ashamed of it. You believe with your heart. You confess to the Lord right now that Jesus, he forgave you of your sins, and you'd like to just acknowledge, preacher, I just prayed that prayer, and I'm not ashamed of it. Would you just lift your hand for just a moment? Nobody's looking. Just lift your hand for just a moment. I'd like to just, just pray for you in general. God bless you. Anyone else here today? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. You may put your hand down if you put it up. Anyone else? Preacher, I prayed that prayer. I'd like to invite you, if you prayed that prayer, you'd like to know more. You'd say, Preacher, I I didn't pray that, but boy, before I leave, I'd like to know more. When we stand to our feet and the piano begins playing, you come right up front. I'll be up here. There'll be others that will be up here as well. And you come and let us know. Now, Could I turn my attention to what I would think most everybody in here is born again? You know Christ is your Savior. Could I ask you, what are you doing to get the gospel out? If if our message is to proclaim that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and paid for our sins, what are you doing to get that message out? You're probably here today and you say, Preacher, I've got somebody I need to share the gospel with. It might be a neighbor, a friend, a family member, a co-worker. I don't know who it is. But they need Jesus, and you're the one to tell them. I want to encourage you to come make this an old-fashioned altar. Maybe kneel at the front or stand or sit in the front row and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to dedicate myself to giving the gospel to so-and-so, to help them understand. And how many are here today by uplifted hands say, Preacher, God's laid someone on my heart or a couple people who need Christ, and I'm convicted today to go talk to them about Christ. Would you lift your hand for just a moment? I just would like to pray for you. God bless you. Anyone else here today? Preacher, there's somebody on my heart. You may put your hand down. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, maybe you didn't want to, but it's possible that you're not so concerned about lost souls. I want to encourage, every hand should have gone up today because all of us, as we walk through, find people who need Jesus.
And I want to encourage you to pray. Now, when we have our invitation, there may be other needs. It might be that you'd like to join Calvary Baptist Church. Maybe God's impressing upon your heart and you say, Preacher, I agree with you what the church is, and I sure want to put my marbles in this basket. You come and you let it be known here today. You want to join Calvary Baptist Church. When the invitation begins, you come right up here. Let whoever knows right up front that you want to be a part of this church. Whatever the need is.